talked about the designed life. And as Chris shared with you, that the designed life happens at the intersection when you have the right priorities and you have a well-disciplined and right plan, right? And that's really the perfect world, isn't it? We know exactly what we want to accomplish. We know how we're going to accomplish it. And guess what? When we look at our life and we look at our past, and even when we look into the future, we realize, you know what? I'm headed in the right direction and I'm doing the right thing. Wouldn't that be a great place to be? I would like to say that you, like myself, have had those moments when you feel confident about life and you feel good about where you are. But the reality is, is that often we don't, do we? We question not only um, who we are, but we question everything about what we do. If you are, depending on your age, if, if you're wrestling with your what to do in your future, when you look at a job, like, what should I do? Like, where should I go? Who should I be? And if you're a single adult and you want to be married, you're like, well, who should I be with? Or am I with the right person? There's so many questions about the future and about decisions that we have to make. If you're already in a job and you're not necessarily firing on all cylinders in that job, right? You're wondering, is this what I should be doing? Or if you're a family, if you have a family, you're wondering, do, do I spend the right amount of time with them? Am, am I, are we focused in the right areas as a couple? Are we focused for our children? Are we kind of pushing them in the wrong direction? Or are we pushing them in the right, or are we not pushing them at all? Or maybe too much? We have so many questions about this life and how we do things. So I want to put the grid up that you saw last week. And check out this grid. If I had one of those red pointers, anybody have one of those red pointers? I thought about that this morning. I remember when those came out. I don't know how old you were. I think I was in middle school. I was like, I've ha I have to get me one of those. And I wasn't that kid. Actually, I was that kid that went and made sure I found one of those. And when the teacher used it, I was like, there's two of them. That was, I was that kid, right? And I just remember the red pointers. I wish I had one of those. If you have a red pointer, go ahead and pull it out and point to the top right quadrant, right? The designed life. This is like perfect world, right? Where we know our design, we understand our function, we understand where we're headed. That's the right priorities at the top. And on the left side, the discipline. So this is the quadrant, the design life. Wouldn't that be great? That would be great, wouldn't it? But the reality is sometimes we find ourselves in the top left quadrant. The top left quadrant is when we have the wrong priorities. That's what if, if you, I'm struggling reading wrong priorities, so I'm sure maybe some of you are. Top left says wrong priorities, right? But in the quadrant says this, this is the driven life. And when I say driven life, some of you are thinking, yeah, 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 that's a good thing, right? Because I want to be driven. I don't want to be lazy. I want to be driven. I want to be purposeful. I want to work hard. But often the driven life is one that has the wrong priorities, but you're still disciplined. You're disciplined, you have a good plan, you're, you're, you're really just working your tail off, right? You're doing everything you can to do a good job at home. You're doing everything you can to do a good job in the workplace. You're doing everything you can to do a good job with your, with your family, and even the idle time that you have, right? But often, it's not the case. Just because we're working hard doesn't mean we're working on the right things, right? So what happens when we're driven, but we actually have the wrong priorities, or even a more difficult question, how in the world do we know that we actually have the wrong priorities? Because sometimes we just don't know. And so what does it look like? So I want to talk in the first two ideas that make this quadrant up. First, I want to talk about the disciplined life. And we look at the left side, we say, okay, what, I want to be disciplined, right? I'm not sure if I have the wrong or the right priorities, but I want to be disciplined. And I love the Bible. Why? Because not only, as I've mentioned before, and I think Chris has mentioned this, this is such a neat thing about the Bible, about the book itself, the most printed book in the history of the printing press, right? The most preserved book, and I love, the Bible actually claims a promise that God said it would be that way, right? 
Like it's, it, it's the most, not necessarily the printing press, but that his word would never be tarnished, that it would always endure forever. The prophets speak of that, and then even Jesus spoke of that, and then after Jesus, they spoke of that. And they said that these words will endure forever. You know, a flower comes, right? A flower comes in the spring, and one day, because there's no rain, and there's all this, all this sunlight, what happens to the flower? It fades. You know, the Bible says that about itself. You know, the, the flower fades, and the grass of the field goes away, but the Word of God stands forever. This book has lasted forever, ever since it spoke into itself, right? Meaning the men who, who wrote these words, we don't believe it's man's words. We believe the men wrote these words because they were inspired by God. The Bible makes so many claims about life and about principles and about not just the story of God, but about us understanding who he is and not only just understanding who he is, but how we should live. And so the Bible says this about discipline and about work ethic. I want to read these two scriptures to you. The first one is Proverbs. If we can put both of these on there. Proverbs 21, verse 5. I love this verse. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. I don't think anyone can disagree with that. Could you? It's just a principle, right? It's not a promise. There's a difference in a principle and a promise. A principle expands over many contexts, right? And a, and a promise is like, no matter what, it's going to happen. Just because you work hard doesn't mean you're going to make a lot of money, right? Doesn't mean you're going to profit well. But this is a principle. When you work hard, there's a return for your work. And if you're lazy, there's a return for that too. Nothing, right? Now, four and six-year-old, do you think my four and six-year-old work hard all the time? Anybody? Anybody? They don't. But I will quote this proverb in my, maybe my own words. I don't quote the NIV translation exactly. But what I do say, even in my own home, trying to teach this principle, is that, listen, lazy hands brings a man what? And I just put my hands out, and they're like, nothing. I'm like, if you're lazy, you won't get anything. But the Bible actually says, and I'll say this to them, not every time the Bible says, but I'll just say, listen, um, when you work hard, there's always a reward right? And they're like, candy? No, not always. I'm just talking in principles. You're not going to get candy every time you pick up what you're already supposed to pick up, right? Sometimes it's just teaching responsibility. But there's also the work ethic. When you work hard, there's a return. There should be a return. And when you work, you deserve to get. And when you don't work, you don't deserve to get. Like, well, I'm on salary. Well, you still don't deserve to get anything, right? If you don't work hard. And so I'll say, listen, um, Hard work always pays off, is how I translate this in my home. Hard work always pays off, but a lazy man brings what? Nothing. They have to understand the principle of hard work. Check out the next proverb. Proverb uh, chapter 10, verse 4. Here it is. Lazy hands makes for what? Again, poverty. But a diligent hand brings wealth. These two principles really make the same point. I, I love it. There's something to be said when you're disciplined. And I don't know if you're doing the right things yet, right? But there's something to be said that there's a return when a man or a woman is disciplined. When they wake up early and they work hard, and when they go to sleep late because they've worked hard. Not that just little sleep means you work hard, right? Because it's not necessarily working hard. It's working sometimes smart, right? But there's a principle in the scripture that God lays forth, right? This is a principle we could say, well, that's true without God saying it. But all truth, we believe, God's truth God laid this out several times. And actually, if you search in the Proverbs, if you go to any type of internet search engine or Bible search engine, the, the Proverbs, just this one book is absolutely full of statements and principles about work ethic. And I love it because God honors and blesses work ethic. What happens when we're doing the wrong work? 
What happens with that? We celebrate work, don't we? And we celebrate hard work. And sometimes, even before we get to the wrong priorities, have you ever seen someone in life that you're like, I respect that. I respect, I respect how hard they're working. I was in a drum and bugle corps. Some of you may be familiar. Most of you are probably not. Uh, it's not the most popular topic on the streets these days. But I was in a drum and bugle corps, so I was a brass player. And I was, uh, went to the University of South Carolina, majored in music, education, and performance. Um, and so I was a brass player. I, I, I love to play. I love to perform. And I joined a drum and bugle corps that had a military background. It started as a spinoff from the Marine Corps band, the President's Own. So the president, when someone plays for the president, it's right, the Marine Corps band. And so they had a spinoff drum corps in the 1920s that started as a field performance ensemble. And in 2000 and 2001, when I was a college sophomore and junior, I joined this drum and bugle corps that was based in Newark, uh, just below, actually, Newark, New Jersey. And now they're based in Allentown, PA. And to say the least, it was hard work. And you can't just picture someone sitting on stage and playing a brass instrument, right? And so it's an outside field performance where from sunup to sundown you're working. And on the days where you did not have a performance, you were outside rehearsing for 12 to 13 hours, however much sunlight uh, we were being given in, in that particular time. And uh, so it was very physically grueling, and I love that time. Some of us all reflect on that time where we could eat whatever we wanted to and not, never had to worry about gaining a pound. Anybody remember those days? You're like, don't even say it right? Because metabolism sort of changes, and so does our, our, our actual habits and practices of eating and exercise. But that was the day when I was like, man, I can eat whatever I want to whenever I want. I didn't have to worry about a thing, because it was hard work. And I remember one day standing on the field, and it was a hot day. Um, I recalled actually last night when I was thinking about it, it was Phoenix, Arizona. And it was 100 plus degrees. We're outside. And I looked beside me, and the guy beside me was from Ohio. These people from all around the world and they're on this 120-day tour. And I looked beside me, and Andrew's his name, and I saw a tear coming out of his eyes. And if you know anything about this Marine Corps spinoff ensemble, it was, it was for tough guys and gals. Right? This wasn't for the weak of heart. And I saw this guy crying. I was like, and I was holding my horn up, right? And we didn't put the horns down unless you were told to. So I had the horn up. I said, Andrew. I can't whisper because you can't hear me. Can you hear me say, Andrew? You hear me? what's wrong? Oh, that worked. That works pretty good. Good job, Ricky, back there. I said, Andrew, what's wrong? He said, nothing. I said, you're crying. I didn't really say you're crying. I was like, dude, something's wrong. What's wrong? He goes, I'm fine. And um, we move on, and, and actually, because our positions on the field move, I looked, and just a few moments later, I saw blood running down his leg. I had no, no shirts on, for the guys, that is, just to be clear. No shirts on, and, and the girls did have shirts on, by the way. And so I look, and I'm like, dude, you're bleeding. I said, what's wrong? He goes, nothing. I said, I'm fine. I said, okay, it's fine. Well, at the end of the day, he starts limping. I'm like, dude, what's wrong? He goes, I'm fine. I said, you're limping. He goes, no, I'm not. I'm fine. I'm like, yes, dude, what's wrong with you? Long story short, he was actually, let's just get real here, the inside of his legs, between his legs, were rubbing raw. If that, that happens sometimes, you know, I mean, it just... It stinks. You see someone walking all bow-legged, you're like, oh, I feel bad for them. I just need to go sit down, put something on it, go to sleep. He had no choice. And I, and I knew what happened late at night. This wasn't necessarily an ethical group, okay, to be with, to say the least. I knew what happened when someone talked about quitting. And he wasn't going to talk about quitting. So because the doctor, team doctor found out actually what was wrong, they took him to the hospital that night and treated him. He was in the hospital for two days. And he came back out. They had completely wrapped his legs at his request, and he got back on that field. 
And let me tell you, when people looked at Andrew, they knew that he was tough. And that's what the, the cadets was the name of the drum and bugle corps. The cadets were a tough group of men and women who worked their tails off. And that was a reputation. In fact, one guy faked an injury that summer and left tour. Just woke up one morning and he was gone. We had to call a group of reserves to actually learn his part in, in the performance. And he was seen later that summer in tour in Buffalo, New York. And to, uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you a fun little story. Maybe not good story, but fun little story about him. I was like, where have you guys been? Because we were late leaving that night. And they said, we found Sean. I was like, what do you mean, Sean? Remember Sean that quit? They said, we took care of him. I was like, what'd you do? Yeah, they just took him in between two buses and gave him um, a good hit across the face because he quit that summer. And that is a whole different world of of expectation. But let me tell you, there's something to be said for hard work, isn't there? There's something to be said for someone that never quits. But is it possible that you work so hard, so long, and you're actually working on the wrong things? Just because you value and have an integrity of work and work ethic, and you say, I'm never going to quit, does it mean that you're actually doing the right things? Imagine a runner who trains himself or herself, and they work hard, and they get to the race day, and they find themselves in mile 24 of a 26-mile marathon, right? And they actually find themselves on the wrong route. They find themselves on the wrong path, and they're not even running the race. Was it worth it? Was all the training worth it if we get to the end and we find ourselves that we have been wasting time? Do you wrestle with that? What if I have, as the grid showed, what if I have the wrong priorities? What if I'm putting all of my energy and all of my time, and you say, I don't struggle with discipline, I don't struggle with the grit, I don't struggle with the endurance, but I struggle knowing if I'm actually doing the right thing. So what about wrong priorities? Is it possible to actually spend your time and spend your energy in the wrong priorities? And so I struggled even communicating this, and so here's what I did. I stole Webster's definition of a noun. Now, some things in school are just kind of ingrained. Does anyone remember? What's the definition of a noun? Anybody? I'm giving it to you. Any? I, I think I hear it. Yeah. Person, place, or thing. Isn't that funny? If, if I mention some other like, grammar, what's the definition of a gerund? You're like, what's a gerund? What's the definition of a participle? I don't know if anyone would know that. If you do know the definition of a participle, don't say it because people are going to treat you like you shouldn't know that. You're a nerd or something. Like, I know what a gerund is, an ing form of a participle. You know, okay. Yes, <laughs> Rick. Rick said, yep, that's it. And so some people know those things. Everyone remembers a noun, right? Any person, place, or thing. So here's my definition. Check out this definition of what I believe a wrong priority is. I think it's specific, but also vague at the same time. Uh, the definition of a wrong priority is any person, any place, or anything that takes us away from what's most important. Any person any place or anything that takes us away from what's most important. Now, this could go in a lot of different directions, couldn't it? What about any person? Now, any person could be what? In any person. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're married, it's someone that's not your spouse could take you away from what's most important, right? And if, if you're working and you know, you know, I need to spend less time at work and more time with my family, it, it could be the boss. It could be the expectations placed on you, the, the, per, the person. If you're saying, you know what, I want to live for God. I want to really give my, my heart and my mind, my devotion to him. But there are people in my life, whatever that person is, that really have no good influence on me. They could take you away from what's most important. What about a place? For a place, it's kind of tricky. I mean, if, you're an, if you struggle with alcoholism in your past, it would be the bar, Right? 
If you feel like, you know what, I have an addiction to the gym. I, I leave work and I go there for two hours when I really know, even while I'm at the gym working out, I, I should be home with my family. It's any place that you could say that pulls us away from the right priority. And the last one's thing. Is it possible that there are physical things, right, in your life? It could be a car it could, or cars. It could be a, a, a motorcycle. It could be for me, I don't like going to the Bass Pro Shop because if I went to the Bass Pro Shop and I had a credit card that had a $25,000 limit, I would just swipe it and say, I'll take it. Well, I'll take what? Whatever you'll give me. All of this stuff, right? Actually, it would be a boat. Anybody with me on that? Be a boat. I hate the Boston Harbor. I drive that and I'm like so jealous. I have to take a route that kind of pulls me away from the water because I just want to be on the water, right? Uh, and so I don't know what that is for you. Any person, any place, anything that pulls us away from the right priorities is what's going to take us into the driven life. That we find ourselves in grit and endurance and working hard, but we actually find that our priorities aren't focused on the right thing. The question is, how do we turn that? There's no way for me up here to communicate to you an audience that's so vast. You have different stories, different pasts, different backgrounds, different experiences, different passions, different struggles. There's no way for me to communicate and give you a list of examples and everyone go, that's me. But there is a way for you to take time and to reflect. Who are the people? What are the places? And what are those things that are pulling me away from what's most important? Others of you wouldn't probably go there. You'd go to the end of our definition. What pulls us away from what's most important? What is most important? Isn't that a tough question? That's, a, that's maybe the first question you should ask yourself today. What, what's most important in my life? For some of you would say, you know what? Knowing God and living for God is what's most important to me. If you wouldn't say what's most important to you, some of you would say, you know what? That might, honestly, that might not be what's most important to me, but it's important. That's why I'm here, right? I mean, I, I'm exploring, I'm learning, I'm listening, and so I'm open. And for, for others of you, maybe in this room, you would say, it's not what's most important. It's not maybe even on the list. But there are other things that are important to me. My family is important to me, right? And, and, and this is no matter if you have faith or don't have faith, family is important to a lot of people, right? And so you'd make your list of priorities. How do I know what's most important to me? How do I know? For so many of us, this quadrant, remember the driven life, you're driven, you're disciplined, you have grit, and you have the wrong priorities. For many of us, we can actually change our priorities from wrong to being right just because we don't actually rest. And so the antithesis, what I would say of the actual issue this morning of what I want to present to you are not ways that you can realign your priorities. And I'm not giving you a priority list. I would hope in this room, as you explore, for those of you that maybe don't have faith, I hope that you would consider, what if God were a priority to me? What if I said, you know what, I want to make him first in my life? What, what does that look like? What does that mean? For others of you that have faith and are following Christ, you say, you know what, I want to make sure that God is my priority. I want to make sure that my family does get the time they deserve from me. I want to make sure that my spouse has the adequate time in the reflection. That's why I was willing to miss a home game last night, right? It's because Rachel is important to me. Rachel's in the room I see her in the back. I just told them yesterday, we were at the restaurant all by ourselves. In fact, I thought, seriously, guys, we were by ourselves. There was not another human in that restaurant that was not cooking or serving me or Rachel. I was like, man, I mean, this isn't good on us. They're going to look at us like, you don't like the Patriots, do you? I mean, I, instead of welcome to our restaurant, they're going to like, you don't like the Patriots. There was an, a, a couple that came in 
um, very, at, at the very end. But it made sense because they were like 85, you know, <laughs> years old. And so I'm like, oh, they don't really care about the game, but that's just us. I mean, marriage is a priority to me. And so that time was worth it right? That, that value time. I don't know what your priorities are, but changing them from the wrong priorities to the right priorities, I just can't give you a list and say, here, this should be your priorities, because I don't know what that looks like. But I do know this. One of the biggest problems with the driven life is that we actually don't slow down enough to evaluate. We don't know what our priorities should be, because we never actually reflect on whether our current priorities are right or wrong. We don't slow down enough to actually even reflect whether or not our priorities are a waste of our time, a waste of our energy, a waste of our money. Could it be possible that what God wants for us today is rest? The driven life is full of rest. You know, I think this is kind of a paradox, right, of these two words of driven and, and rest, but Success and profit and, and fruit, in the, what we would say in the Christian context of a fruit-bearing life, one who shows the attributes of God and they're, and they're growing in their faith. And one doesn't get to those positive outcomes without rest. There's no way that in a Christian life, you can actually run the race without the proper rest, is there? Now, as a parent, I, I know this. Sometimes Levi had one of those days, our four-year-old, he had one of those days last week where you're like, yeah, you just got to go sleep. It's one of those moments that, you know what, I don't need to discipline him. He's just tired. Sometimes I'm like, kid, don't, if you scream one more time, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to have fun, Levi, see you later. I'm going for a walk. I don't know what I'm going to do. Just stop screaming. It's just one of those days. As a parent, I just knew he needed one thing. You know those, you know those days? They're just tired. They're just so tired, Right? And on the days that we want them to sleep in, they don't. And the days that we do want them to sleep in, they won't, right? It's vice versa. Today was one of those days I was like, I know they're not going to wake up. And sure enough, they didn't want to wake up today. They were just so tired, right? Levi had one of those days last week. As a parent, I know they just need rest. Do you know of the, of the list? Some of you know the Ten Commandments. Some of you could say, yeah, I've heard the Ten Commandments. Do you know this is one of God's Ten Commandments? That God has a lot of teachings and a lot of principles and a lot of truths that are shared. We just read a few in Proverbs, right? But there's a top ten list. And I love that God made a top 10 list. And th these are things that would pave the way for him and his people to know each other. If God said, you know what, if you want to be right with me, I have a few things I want you to know. Now, there were things outside the top 10 that made it, right? There were lots of things that God taught on, principles that he, that he shared through Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through the minor prophets, through the major prophets, through Jesus, God himself, through, through the apostles in the New Testament. But one of, the, one of the ones that made the top 10 list was rest. You know why? Because God knows you need it. And some of you don't slow down enough to give God any space, to give God any time. And look at what God, I love this, rest. I'm like, don't murder. <laughs> okay, top 10 list. Right? That's an easy one. Honor your father and mother. Moms and dads are like, yes. That made the top 10 list? Rest. Top 10. Let's read this together in um, Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor. You're like, I don't like this. I like to sleep every day. Just bear with me, right? Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. 
One more verse. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Now to the listener, his people, right? They're down the mountain. Moses is receiving these instructions from the top of the mountain. And he comes down not to find them in the state where they should be, right? He comes down and rebukes them because of what they were carving, um, another image, foreign God at the bottom of the mountain. But when Moses has the opportunity, and then in the days ahead, Joshua has the opportunity to share this teaching, to share this principle, what do you think they were thinking? I don't know what you're thinking, but what do you think they're thinking first? Hey, listen, God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. So to you need your rest. Any good parent would look to their son or their daughter and say, you need your rest, right? Any good parent knows for you to be successful tomorrow in school, you know what? It's, it's nine o'clock. I should probably put you in the bed because I know that you need it. You know what happens to the human physical body when they don't rest? It's crazy. When you look at all of the sicknesses and all the, all, all the symptoms that are tied to to everything from psychological health to the emotional health to the the physical health. Our bodies need rest, and we are not in any good condition to live. We are not in any condition to lead. We're not in any condition to love unless we actually have the proper rest. And sometimes I believe the problem of the driven life and having the wrong priorities is we don't give our bodies enough rest. Now, the application to this message to you today is more than sleep eight hours a night, right? Because I don't know how much you sleep. Some of you may be able to function on five or six. God help you. I guess he is helping you because you're functioning on five or six. Or your spouse may say, no, they're not. <laughs> they think they're okay, but they need more rest. This isn't about how many hours that you sleep a night, though that is a very practical Sometimes that's what people need. When you hate to pay a counselor for help and they look into your life and they're like, dude, you're just not sleeping. That's your problem. But let's help you get proper rest and your life will change. I love that application. That was easy, right? But it's more than just a physical rest. Some of us don't have any emotional health. Some of us don't have a spiritual rest, a spiritual health. And what we need is rest. So one of my goals is to one day qualify for the Boston Marathon. I'm not there right now, but I'm working towards it. I'm signed up for a marathon in May, uh, Sugarloaf Mountain in Maine, which I think is probably ridiculous for me to actually try to qualify running a mountain uh, for the Boston Marathon. And so I, let me tell you there, I'm, I'm not there. For my age, I have to run a marathon in three hours and five minutes. That's right at a seven-minute pace. And I'm certainly not there. My first marathon time several years ago was a nine-and-a-half-minute pace. The second marathon that I did um, was an eight and a half minute pace. And I'm now seven and a half minute pace. I'm off the pace right for a seven minute mile. So at the gym, I will see runners and I will start conversations with them because I've never been coached on how to run. I've never received any type of formal instruction. And so there's this guy at the gym. His name's Raul. I tell you, he, he's got the body. You'd look at him like with a, what's the huge coat where like you see people on, you, you can't move. Anybody know? What, what am I talking about? The big coach, huge Alaskan. Help me out. Parka? Yeah, that's it. I mean, if, you, if he had a parka or two parkas on, you'd still say he's a runner. He just looks like it, right? He's just got like the perfect bill. I started a conversation with him, and I saw him running too. I was like, man, so talk to me about running. We started this conversation, and he started asking me questions, and he was willing to help. He said, well, tell me your pace. How long are you doing? What's your training like? A million questions. And you know what he said to me at the end when I told him? I said, well, I'm trying to stay between a seven-minute pace and a 7.30 pace. 
because I'm doing a pace training uh, with Hal Higdon, which is kind of a, a running guru. He said, so do you ever slow down past 7.30? I'm like, no, not right now. He said, that's stupid. And I'm like, okay, tell me why. He goes, you're not going to make it to your marathon. He said, the reason you're not going to make it, because your, your body has never stayed between 7 and a 7.30 pace. You, you've never done that, right, until the last three months, and you're trying to do it over six months. He goes, I promise you, you're not going to make it. He said, you won't make it to the race day because you're running too fast. I thought, wait, well, my goal is a seven-minute pace, right? That's what I want to do. He goes, if you don't slow down, I guarantee you by March, your body's going to give in. And so, okay, when should I slow down? He goes, forget the training. Let me show you this. So he gives me some notes and helps me out. About a week later, I started a conversation with another girl. Same thing, fitness triathlete, started talking to her about running. She said, let me watch you run. So she watched me run. She's like, your hips are out of line. I'm like, how do you know your hips are out of line? So she's t teaching me things. I'm like, uh-huh. But my mind's going, I don't have a clue what you're saying. So she's talking to me about hips and feet and all this crazy stuff. She said, tell me about your pace. How long are you doing it? Same thing. She goes, that's stupid. You shouldn't do that. She goes, what are you running when you do like a short, like three-mile run? I said, about 7.30. She goes, no, you should be at 8.30. You, should, you, you need to slow down to train your body for the long haul. Thankfully, I've only been running for about four years, haven't had any major injuries. Both of them looked at me and said, if you don't slow down, if you don't give your body the proper rest, and if you're doing this or what you're describing to me, you may be getting stronger and faster, but you won't last. I mean, two people within seven-day period said, you're not going to reach your goal in May. Just know that. And for realistically, they're like, oh, you, might, you might be close. I don't think you'll make it. You need longer. You, you're trying to do too much too fast. Slow down. You're not going to make it. I took that to heart because I should. You have two people, triathletes, that are phenomenal, and they, they, they understand the body, and they looked at me and said, if you don't rest, you won't last. You won't make it. Rachel, my wife, started running several years ago. She found this out very fast when she got excited about running. She put all of her energy in and did good and ran three half marathons, which was her goal. And how long, what of a window time was that? Three or four months? And after that third one, guess what her body said? Oh, thank you. Started tightening up. Took her out of running for six months. And I listened to these guys last week, Raul and Becky, say, if you don't slow down, you're not going to make it. Sometimes what we need to give our lives, not just our bodies, we need rest. And God said it from the very beginning, just like I did. I made the world. I created. Basically, God said, I work. And then I rest. In the same way that I modeled for you, you need it. And it doesn't mean that today you can't open your email and respond to an email. It just means that you have to give God your body and you have to rest. And if you don't, you won't make it. Emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, mentally, right? We need it. So three questions that I want to close with today as the band comes forward. And these three questions, they're in the app under the sermon notes. You'll also, I believe, see them on the screen. The first question is this. <clears throat> Are you giving God your time? Because you can say, what does it look like to rest? That's a conceptual idea. What does it practically look like? Here's the question you have to answer today. Are you giving God your time? Here is an offering, so to speak, that you can say today, okay, God, I want to give you time. For some of you, that's, you know what, I'm coming to church every week, and that's an awesome move because you're giving God time, right? Some of you need to think, what's Monday look like? What does it look like to give God time? And sometimes this is all rest implications, by the way. Don't forget that. Are you giving God time? Because sometimes 
All we need to do is give God the time and we rest in that. The second question is this. Are you giving God space to work? Are you giving God space to work? Now, this is a tricky one. I, I want you to think through, wrestle through that. Now, what does it really look like to give God space to work? Sometimes there's just little to no margin for God in our lives. We might be coming to church, but that doesn't mean that there's margin. It just means we're sitting and we're listening, right? But what if you decided, you know what? I, I want to make sure that my priorities are in line. I, but I don't know what to do to realign them. And this is, this is a question that you can answer that will help pave the way for that. You're giving God time and you're giving God space. You're saying, okay, God, I'm giving you time and space in my life. And the last one is the most important one of the three. Do I think all three questions are critical to answer? The last one is this, are you giving God your ear? You know when priorities change? Is when you have a new direction. And there's no way in the Christian life to change the, the priorities, to change the quadrant, right? To move from the quadrant where we know that we have the wrong priorities and we wanna move over to the right priorities. There's no way to do that unless we know what to do, unless we know what to change. Again, I, I can't give you a new priority list, right? But you have to somehow. And I'm wrestling through this week for me, God, are my priorities in line? Am I giving you the proper time? Am I giving you the proper space? And am I giving you my ear? specifically on this last one. There's no way that you can give your God ear, give God your ear without this book. And here's why. Because it would be some form of just turning your ear, driving down the road, okay, God, I'm listening. You're like, this is weird. I don't hear anything. How do we know what God's saying? How do you know the direction for your life? How do you, how do you know what's next? How do you know where to tweak and what to stop doing and what to start doing? Some of us don't need a to-do list. We need a stop to-do list, right? How do you know? I don't know what to do for you. You don't know what to do for me. But if you give God your ear, and this book is the only way to do that, how do we know what God says? How do we know what God says? Ask 10 people that question today. You, get, you might get 10 different responses, but here's mine. The only way we know what God says for sure is to lean on his book. That's been preserved for hundreds and thousands of years. Here's the book. How do we know what God says? Does God speak to your time? Does God speak to family? Does God speak to work ethic? Does God speak to rest? Do, does God speak to relationships? Does God speak to the turmoil that's in your life? Does God speak to your finances? Does God speak to how to trust in him when you don't know what to trust? Does God speak about not worrying about tomorrow? because you can't change it? The answer to all those questions is yes. And it's not through some pastor, preacher, lecture. It's through the Bible. And so often we move from the wrong priorities to the right priorities. When we give God space, we give him time, and we listen to what he says for, for you today. You are doing that. Why? Because I'm teaching you what the Bible says. I'm offering to you what he says. And if you listen and respond, Jesus actually says himself that the man who listens to these words and does them is like a house that was built on the rock, not sand. It's like a house that was built on a rock, right? The rains are going to come, the storms are going to come, and guess what? Your rock, your house is still going to be there. So this book, so I encourage you, as you think about your life, about the right priorities, 
give God time, give God space, and give God your ear through this book as you're doing today. One of the practical things that you can do, had a lot of signups last week for life groups that start in February. This is a way that you can give God some time, some space in your ear. It's to sign up for a life group, to be a part of a Bible study that listens to what the Bible says and explores that. For some of you that have faith, it's a chance for you to grow more. For others of you that don't, it's a chance for you to explore. What does God really say about my life? And does he love me? And the answer to that is, he says a lot about your life and he does love you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this truth and this scripture that um, gives us hope, gives us meaning. We know that um, just like I look at my little boys and I say, man, they just need rest. I know that you look at our lives and we just need rest because we're not thinking straight. We're not doing anything that makes sense. We just need you. And so help us to rest, but in our resting, help us to answer those three questions. Am I giving God the space? Am I giving God the time? And am I giving God my ear? Help us to answer these in a way that honors you and pleases you in Jesus' name. Before this next song, this is our, we want to uh, transition to let you know this is our time of offering. And uh, if you're a part of Encounter Church and uh, would like to give and contribute um, a gift to God, now's the time we're going to do that. If you're a guest, feel no pressure uh, to give during this time. You're our guest today, and so we hope you enjoy the rest of the service. So we'll transition to our time of offering um, at this point, okay? Let's see.